This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner, entitled Power Struggle. Feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages as well as blog posts that my dad puts out weekly. You can subscribe to those in the little email subscribe box. You can also find links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We post there weekly, sometimes daily. And you can also subscribe to our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever else is out there. And our music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. Check him out on his website, evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. All right, good morning. Let's turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. We're going to start there today. I've given you a handout that we'll get to in a little bit. See, just by way of a selfless plug, I might have mentioned this before. I, I'm doing a, uh, a weekly podcast with Captain Mike Harper. Uh, he's the head of the Salvation Army operation in Manchester. And so we do a weekly podcast. And um, it's, it's, it's fun because he kind of comes with a top. Oh, thank you. It's called We Believe Salvation. It's, it, we Believe, that's the name of it. If you put that in and search for it, I think there's going to be other We Believes. Just keep looking for the one that's for the Salvation Army. I think it has a, like a hammer and an anvil and... and uh, a flash of light when the hammer hits the anvil. Anyway, this week we did, it's fun because it's just shooting from the hip, really, especially for me. <clears throat> and I don't know what we're going to talk about like yesterday. I had no idea or whenever we did it, Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday. I, I didn't know what we were doing until I got on the phone with him. We did it over the phone and he was on the phone over at the Salvation Army. And it's on spiritual gifts, but it was it was fun. It was interesting to do. And it's weird listening to yourself, Luke, since Luke put the messages up. I've been going through and listening to my messages first because it's like, oh, I'm always scared to death. What did I do wrong, say wrong? How did I mess up there? And, and so this might sound horrible, but I, I do strive to, in my preaching and even doing the podcast and my blog, to, to give out something worthy of my listener's time. That's what we were taught in speech class in college. If you have something to say, make it worthy of your listener's time. And, and I feel like I, I put out good stuff measuring it against me, not measuring me against anybody else because, you know, I'm, I'm in the, the bottom tier if you start doing that. But the, based on... It, what comes from me as me, knowing me that I was before I was saved and brought up and everything else. It's, it's been kind of fun just listening to my preaching. It's almost an out-of-body experience or reading the blogs or listening, re-listening to the podcast I do with Mike. So anyway, I've been encouraged to just, I think listening to myself 
removed from myself has encouraged me or emboldened me in the right sense that, hey, I do have something to say, you know, and so I hope it ends up being a blessing when you listen or read anything that I have to say. That's my goal and intent. All right, so with that out of sight, and Luke, you can take that out if you want. Um, so Ephesians 4, I'm calling this power struggle. Power struggle. We're going to look, we're going to start in Ephesians 4. We're going to primarily stay in Ephesians. But I want to focus in on this idea of power struggle, that basically there are two opposing forces at work in the world. And especially, maybe not especially, but as I'm going to say, especially at, when Paul writes Ephesians and Colossians, he seems to have the same theme of a power struggle going on between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. And so if you read Ephesians and then if you were to go and then read Colossians, you'd see there's this theme running between the two books of there's these two forces at odds against one another and we're caught in the middle of it. I mean, we're just caught right in the middle of it as believers. And Paul is trying with all his might, if I can say it that way, to be able to equip those to whom he's writing and hence down the road equip us to be able to do warfare in the spiritual realm in which we find ourselves involved and are more acutely aware of since we've been saved. You know, before you're saved, you're not aware of the fact that there's this other opposing force. But when you get saved, you realize, whoa, wait a minute now. Now I, there's two opposing forces and they're very real here. And so Paul focuses in on this aspect. And I really appreciate it because it helps you understand a lot sometimes as to what's going on in your life and why and how come. It's like, you know, Job had no idea that the opposing force was out to get him and that God was involved and said, go for it. Just don't take his life. And so all this stuff come cra came crashing down on his life. Well, what was going on? There were two opposing forces. Satan saying, yeah, as long as everything's good, sure, he's going to follow you. Why not? Who wouldn't? And God says, take it all away. Leave him and he leaves the wife, but you can do whatever you want. And he just goes through this horrific, horrific struggle. Why? Because there's these two opposing forces unseen going on at the time. And Paul is acutely aware of that. I mean, he was caught up to the third heaven. And I think I'm going to say it somewhere if I haven't said it somewhere else already. I can't remember at this point. But, you know, he's caught up to the third heaven and on oh, my blog and the things he must have seen and heard. And he, above all else, perhaps other than Yeshua, was more acutely aware than anybody else as to the dynamics of what we are involved on. And it's really a struggle unto death for the souls of people because there's these two forces. So I want to focus in on that. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, it's such a, this is a wrong way to say it, but such a spiritual book, meaning it helps to kind of take away the glaze from our eyes to be able to see that we are no longer able to just live in the ignorance that we were in before we were saved, we now know what we are involved in. It's a power struggle between two forces. And Satan is out to win the victory at 
all costs. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us as believers in Yeshua to see that we are involved in something much bigger than we are even aware of. And I thank you for the book of Ephesians, Father, how Paul just takes it back layer after layer upon layer upon layer to let us see kind of behind the curtain what is really going on. So bless this time, please. Help me, give me words, wisdom, uh, and help me to just be a blessing in Yeshua's name, amen. All right. So I, I, I want to try to, uh, there's a lot to go through and cover, but we're not going to read it all, okay? I'm going to plop us into sections of Scripture in Ephesians and then in Colossians, but I'm, we're going to have to just jump into the middle of the context and deal with what it is specifically I'm trying to say. Usually I like to bring in what's wrapped around what I want to say with the context, but we're not going to have the time to do that. So try to bear with me. Try to follow this best you can. So we're going to start by looking at Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And then what I want to try to do is illustrate or highlight this power struggle by other verses that we'll, we'll read. I have a handout that we're going to get to at some point in this. And so let's go ahead and read just Ephesians 4, starting at uh, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. Well, let's put in 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him and in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, my focus, my overall concern why I want to say the rest of what I'm going to say is encapsulated in verse 14. And I'm talking to us here, and I'm talking to any Messianic or Christian or anybody somewhere ever that may end up listening to this. My overall concern is that we be no more children. Tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Oh, that is an unbelievable verse. Wow. I mean, you have to, in your reading and as I do, you have to stop and think and meditate about all this. And, and I'm not going to get into all of this, but there's something going on here. There's a battle. There's a struggle. Somebody's out to get somebody and they're not playing fair and they don't care. 
They just want to wreak havoc and gobble up whomever they can for their own selfish ends and means. What's our defense? We're supposed to no more be children. You know, if Gideon stayed Gideon for the next 30 years, there'd be a problem at that size that he is right now. He needs to end up looking like his father after a while. Well, we as believers, we can't stay children. We need to grow up. So verse 15 says that. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We're supposed to grow up. That's what it means to be no more children. No more childish behavior. No more childlike level of biblical knowledge and awareness and acuity. There comes a point in time when we should know our Bibles. We should know our ABCs. We should be able to start putting some of the letters together to make words and eventually sentences and paragraphs. And who knows, maybe write a term paper sometime in college. But that's what we're supposed to do with the Word of God in our own lives. And then start acting like it. <laughs> start acting like it, which is a process, I know. Childish behavior, behavior is exemplified by a wandering, unsettled spirit flitting about an after new spiritual titillation. I'm bringing it back to where we are as far as spiritual immaturity. Childish behavior is exemplified by a wandering, unsettled spirit flitting about after new spiritual titillations. That's what it's talking about when it says here, carried about with every wind of doctrine. We are plagued. Something good has backfired. We are plagued with just too much stinking information. We're plagued with being able to go on the internet find somebody's teaching and pick and choose what kind of titillates us or appeals to us or what makes sense to us. And we've lost the concept and the purpose of a local congregation that comes and meets under the leadership and guidance of, of the, the, we read about the pastors and teachers and those that are set up for the church, the local assembly, and learn to grow up in that particular family setting. There's probably not one of us that grew up in our particular families and didn't see some other family that your friends were in and said, man, I wish I could go live in that family. That's awesome. Well, you can't do that. I had a friend that his mom and uh, brothers and all that mom and dad, they smoked dope all together downstairs. Mother, father, kids, everybody. I thought, wow, would that be awesome? Oh, well, no. We've, we've, 
childish behavior is exemplified by a wandering, unsettled spirit flitting about, flitting about after new spiritual titillations. I want to be over in that family. I want to be under that guy. I want to listen to that guy. This is the one I'm going to follow. And it's not just the Messianic movement, it's Christianity. I mean, it's, it's prolific. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And I'm not saying don't even do it. But what I'm saying is we're flitting about because we personally, individually, are not settled and know what we believe. And so we're looking and grabbing to find out what it is we believe. And we've forsaken our own personal responsibility to grow up, to learn for yourself your ABCs and start putting together your own sentences rather than looking over at the person next to you and writing what that person writes. Who wants to live that way? I mean, I did that in high school. I cheated my way through. Got me nothing. So when I managed to stumble into college, oh, I had to work. It backfired. And if you're just living on the information you get from everybody else, Sooner or later, when you have to stand on your own, it's going to backfire. It'll backfire! Believe me, I don't know what I'm saying right now because this was not anything I was going to say, so I don't know what's happening. So, being no more childish. First off, grow up! Second, stop being vulnerable. Verse 14, we're too easily deceived. It's in our verse. We're too easily deceived. We're gullible. We're vulnerable. Now, we, in, in our defense, anybody's defense, how does, how, when you're deceived, yes, we have our own culpability in it, but I'm not talking about that right now. When you become deceived, usually there's a means that has been used to trick you, to seduce you, to suck you in. And Paul says, stop being vulnerable. You're too easily deceived. How is that happening? The slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. We're too gullible. We think that person that has the kapah or that person that talks about the seats or is, is messianic that we, oh, he's a good guy. He talks like we do. He looks like we do. He's a good guy. No. Paul, Paul writes his epistles to say, listen, you cannot trust everybody, and especially from within. People are going to rise up. And I don't, I don't understand how we're so ignorant, and we still don't get it. Slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay, lie in wait to deceive. That's incredible. You know, I'm watching, um, I like to watch a lot of military stuff. <laughs> oh, I know what. It seems like, I was listening to Rush because 
driving from, from point A to point B with a school bus when we're leaving in the afternoon, I, I pick up some of him. Talking about how potentially there was a, hang, a holdover from the Obama administration that was still within uh, Trump's administration, but because Trump didn't know who he is, uh, he kind of went unnoticed. And there's a possibility, it, whether I'm right or wrong in this, just go with what I'm trying to say. Possibly he could have been left over as a sort of in-house plant, a spy. I read enough war material stuff to realize that the best double agent is the one that never gets noticed and somehow wiggles into the midst of the core of what's going on only to receive information, use it to tear down everything everybody thinks he's a part of. That's this verse. I don't take anybody on face value anymore. I've been at this too stinking long, especially in the Messianic movement. Now, that brings us to our handout. So I, I found, I love Albert Barnes. Again, he's not Messianic and he's not anywhere probably where close to where we are. He probably wouldn't come to our fellowship for sure. <laughs> um, but I like him. And he's back in, in, I forget when, I forget, but back before the 1880s in, uh, anyway, a long, long, long time ago. But he has some, I think, excellent stuff to say and uh, at least he's saved. So here's his note on verse 14. And I'll read it just like it says there. Therefore, uh, sorry, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay, lie, in wait to, lie in wait to deceit. Now, let me hasten to say I just found this this morning. I had, you know, so I didn't create my message wrapped around what he said. I, I, find, I, you, I always make my own message the best I can and then I double check myself by what others say or don't say. And then I find out, it's like, I better leave that alone. Or, oh, good, somebody else thinks the same thing and says it better than I do. That's the case here. He says what I want to say better than I can say it. But you have to listen to me because that's the only way I know to say what I know how to say. So, there, so we're going to break it up. You see that, the dark things. That's how he breaks up the verses in his commentary. That we henceforth be no more children. In some respects, Christians are to be like children. They are to be docile, gentle, mild and free from ambition, pride, and haughtiness. But children have other characteristics besides simplicity and docility. They are often changeable. They are credulous and are influenced easily by others and led astray. In these respects, Paul exhorts the Ephesians to be no longer children, but urges them to put on the characteristics of manhood. I love that. And especially to put on the firmness in religious opinion, which became maturity of life. So he's basically saying, grow up. Don't be like children, changeable, credulous, influenced easily by others, led astray. What are we supposed to do? Grow up, spiritually speaking, tossed to and fro. And that's the Greek word there. This word 
is taken from waves or billows that are constantly tossed about in all ages, the image of instability of character and purpose. So we're supposed to grow up, put on characteristics of manhood in our spiritual growth, and stop being like you're bombarded by waves or billows constantly tossed about and always being unstable in character and purpose and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So this is good. With no firmness, no settled course, no helm. The idea is that of a vessel on the restless ocean that is tossed about with every varying wind, have no fixed views, uh, sorry, uh, blah, 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 that is tossed about with every varying wind and that has no settled line of sailing. So many persons are in regard to religious duties. They have no fixed views and principles. They have no doctrines that are settled in their minds by careful and patient examination. And the consequence is that they yield to every new opinion and submit to the guidance of every new teacher. The doctrine taught here is that we should have settled religious opinions. We should carefully examine what is truth and, having found it, should adhere to it and not yield on the coming of every new teacher. We should not, indeed, close our minds against conviction. We should be open to argument and be willing to follow the truth wherever it will lead us. But this state of mind is not inconsistent with having settled opinions and with being firm in holding them until we are convinced that we are wrong. No man can be useful who has not settled principles. No one who has not such principles can inspire confidence or be happy. In the first aim of every young convert should be to acquire settled views of the truth and to become firmly grounded in the doctrines of the gospel. Now, is that not good or what? That's a great, right? Isn't that great? Now, he wrote, I forget what it is, but prior 1880, we're, uh, over 100 years ago. Plus, he has to write this because those people back then were in his ministry, the time in which he lived that he was writing to in his commentary, they were being tossed about. Well, here we are today. God's people collectively still in the same place. Still in the same place. We have to stop this. This is lunacy. This is lunacy. And I'm submitting that the reason we stay childish, decade after decade after decade, century after century, is because we do not read the word of God. <laughs> Which is what he says here. 
The first aim of every young convert should be to acquire settled views of the truth and to become firmly grounded in the doctrines of the gospel. We've abdicated our responsibilities to the people behind the pulpits. I mean, we live in a day where people come to good Bible-believing churches anymore, and they don't even bring their Bibles. We live in a day where it's become so depersonalized that we just... Anyway, I'm going to go really <laughs> askew here. I don't, let's not go there. But, but, Albert Barnes, who wrote this over 100 years ago, is writing to us today. And I read this stuff, and I know when it was written, and I'm thinking, we somehow, we've lost a clarion call from behind the pulpit of godly men to preach hard stuff. And what I mean by that is not mean and, and not with irrational expectations, but to be man enough behind the pulpit to shell the corn, husk the corn, as they used to say. I was telling Luke the other day, we are way past the time when somebody like my hero, who was still alive at the time when we got married, Judy and I, we're way past the time where people are going to flock to hear somebody like Lester Roloff. We'd go home crying. <laughs> and, and, and it's hard for me to convey this because many of those of you who are living now have never experienced that sort of godly preaching to where hundreds and thousands would flock to hear these men preach. And be taken to the woodshed and then hug them for it. <laughs> By the slight of men, the cunning skill, trickery of people. The word used here, cubia, is from a word, cubas, meaning a cube or die, and properly means a game at dice. Hence, it means gaming, gambling, and then anything that turns out by mere chance or haphazard, as a game at dice does. It may possibly also denote the trick or fraud that is sometimes used in such games, but it seems rather to denote a man's forming his religious opinions by the throw of a dice, or, in other words, it describes a man whose opinions seem to be the result of mere chance. Who'd I listen to today? Who'd I read today? Who, you know, you know we, we've listened to, read everything other than the Bible. And we wonder why we're confused. And we wonder why we're still acting like children. And we still don't know what we believe. I'd hate for the majority of us to be put on trial for our faith. Do you know why you believe what you believe and can you express it and can you show why and where you believe it? Or would you have to say, you know what, can you call my pastor for me? These are the terms I think in. And this is because it was how it's preached. You're on trial, when I was coming up, you're in trial for your faith. Can you defend yourself and your faith with what you know yourself? Come on, folks, we have to start grading ourselves. 
I have to grade myself. Paul says, examine yourselves to see. He, he brings it down so low, he says, examine yourselves to even see if you're in the faith. <laughs> the phrase, last paragraph there, the slight of men, therefore I would render by the mere chance of people, or as you may happen to find people, one holding this opinion and the next that, and allowing yourself to be influenced by them without any settled principles. I don't want to be what he just wrote about. I refuse. I'm not going to be like that. And thank God when I got saved, we still believe this stuff. And Luke, I guess no matter, I want to swear. <laughs> but I have to go home and listen to your mother, so I better not. All right, just, uh, just quickly, go up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. This thing about... Uh, uh, oh, let's see. Anyway, um, oh, okay, Ephesians, uh, sorry, Hebrews 5, verse 11. Let me get there myself. All right. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. Well, you know what? It's not just during Albert Barnes's time. It's back when this guy was writing the book of Hebrews. <laughs> for, when the, for, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become, they, it's not even they're not growing, they're regressing. And are become such as have need of milk, not strong meat. Now it uses that word babe at the end of verse 13, that just happens to be our same word in, back to Ephesians now 4, where it says uh, in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more babes. Same word, babes, tossed to and fro. Now, I, I can't make you want to grow up. You know, I, I can't make you want to do that, and I can't make it happen for you. You have to want it. And I was talking with Mike Harper about it, the guy I do the podcast with. He said, how do, you, how do you make somebody want something? You can't. You know, but we're, we're told, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Oh, yes, we all know that. Yes, raise your hand if you know. Yes, I know it. Okay. Do you have a hunger and a thirst? See, we don't even know what hunger is. Hunger is, oh, supper's coming in a half an hour. I haven't eaten since lunch. Oh, I'm hungry. No, it's not that. And we've never experienced this on a physical. Thirst? Well, I'm thirsty. Yeah, I drink almost 80 ounces of water a day now. 60, 80 ounces of water. I'm thirsty. I don't even know if, if my father drank that much water in his whole life. <laughs> 
We don't know what thirst is. We don't know what hunger is. But we're told, blessed are the ones that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There needs to be a hunger. So, with everything that I've said, herein lies the power struggle. There's a power struggle. And unbeknownst to us, when I'm yelling at all of us, it even goes deeper than us, broader than us. Because there's this unseen realm, and I wrote about it in my latest blog. I was going to read that, but it doesn't quite fit today, but it does. Because the Apostle Paul found himself living between the realm of two worlds, the seen and the unseen, and he talks about that. And this is what Ephesians is about. This is what Galatians is about. Walking between the, the two realms of reality, the seen and the unseen. And that's why Paul says, what God is doing in our hearts right now is on display to all that principalities and all the host and everything we can't see. And I was going to focus on the powers and principalities and all that stuff. But it's that realm that we can't see. But God's, the fact, listen, the only thing that keeps me going is, God, for whatever reason, saved me. In my life is such a disaster if I can say it this way, just bear with me. But yet I keep going on by His grace. This angelic host, or what, this other unseen world, boy, is he a disaster. But you know what? He doesn't give up. You know, take away all that Job has, but he will not deny me. That's, that's the realm that we find ourselves in. So, okay, you're screwed up, you're a mess, you're not this, you're not that. How come I'm not this God and you haven't done this? He that endures to the end shall be saved. It's not saying endure and then you'll be saved. It's, it's, that's the evidence. If you make it to the end, if you don't give up, if you don't quit, that's the evidence that you truly were saved. And so there's this realm of warfare going on. And listen, if we can just hang in there and make it to the end, and I mean that in the right sense, gosh, that brings glory to God. We are his workmanship. We are his work of art. Some translate that. We, we are his masterpiece. Who, this guy up here? <laughs> no. Yes. It's true. Why? Because I look so dynamic, and I have a full head of hair, and I have a chiseled feature, all of which I don't have. No, but because somehow this schmuck is still hanging in there by the grace of God, and the only thing that sustains him is the word of God, and that fact that I'm still by the grace of God in the battle brings glory to God. And he's painting this masterpiece in all of our lives that none of us see because we can't stand back objectively and see us as God sees us in Yeshua creating this masterpiece that for all eternity somehow it's going to be on display. Paul talks about it. So it's good stuff. So let's close with this. How long have we been going to see? I wish this thing, oh mine will tell me how long I've been going. Ah, 37 minutes, 38 minutes, okay, good. So what I want to do to just wrap this up is, is look at verses that illustrate, that highlight this power struggle. We're going to look at 
primarily Ephesians 1 section in Colossians. And I, and I just, if nothing else, want to read them, all right? Okay, so Ephesians 5, I just want you to see how Paul talks about this struggle between two forces. And I'm just going to, again, just drop us into the context. So Ephesians 5 or 6. Let no man deceive you. It's a different word for deceive, but it's still the same idea that we've already looked at in, in 4.14. Different word, but same idea. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now notice that we're going to see the contrast here, the two realms. For ye were sometimes, in other words, at, one, at some point, ye were sometimes in the past darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. All right, so we have the two realms. Very easily spelled out for us, light and dark. Before you were saved, you were in darkness. You didn't know that. But now you know you were in darkness because light has come. But there are still the two realms. Even though we're going to see from Colossians we've been taken out of that, we still live life in the realm of these two, in the midst of the realm of these two forces doing battle and we're caught in the middle now before we were in dark well now we're in light but we're, we're now stuck in this power play and, and uh, because the enemy is out to bring it all down all right so that's ephesians 5 6 through 11 so the light and the darkness go back to ephesians 1 All right, starting at verse 15, and we'll read through chapter 2, verse 3. All right, Ephesians 1, 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, make a mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is a wonderful prayer. You need to just park in it sometimes. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Now here we're getting into this, this thing of the realms, the other realm. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And that put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Powerful. Verse 2 lets us know what's going on all around us. You walked according to the course of this world. There's a power over all. The prince of the power of the air. Well, what's he doing? He's a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, when it says children, it's, it means just those who are disobedient. But I'm telling you, this thing about uh, uh, children of disobedience, you have kids, they're disobedient. I drive school buses, children of disobedience. I see every day, as Coy does in the world he lives, the flagrant display of the powers of darkness. And this is not necessarily what Paul is saying completely, but even in children, there's a disobedience. And you, it's almost tangible at times from where we now can see from. It's almost tangible. You can almost reach out and touch that evil force that is at work in those individuals. But we've become so sanitized and removed from all of that, we, 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 we almost forget that there's this warfare going on. Ephesians 3. Verse 8. Uh, i got to make sure I'm in the right spot. I double-checked everything, but sometimes I mess up. All right, Ephesians 3, 8. Unto me who am less than the least. That's my blog for this week, less than the least. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Ooh, it's everything that I just said. Our lives are on display, and whether you think you're, you're just a mess or you're doing great right now, it doesn't matter one way or the other, God is still using us to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church through us, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's good stuff. All right, let's pop up to Colossians. This is one of my favorite section of scriptures because when I got saved and I came across reading this, it was like, wow, that was me, that was me, that was me. All right, so Colossians 1. I need to get a sip here. All right, Colossians 1, verse 12. 
giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who, this is the verse, it was so refreshing when I found this because I said, this was me. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Wow, what a wonderful window in, in what's swirling around us. Verse 13, he's delivered us from the power of darkness, and he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 16, yeah, it, it clearly comes out there's this visible and this invis, visible and invisible realm. And then in chapter 2, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but just to hit you with some, a couple verses here, verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This unseen world. And then our last set of verses, Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. This is kind of like Paul's final summation of everything he's trying to get us to see and the Ephesians to see and, uh, and by extension the Colossians. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. And with this we're going to be done and I may be setting a new record. Well, not close, but close. All right. Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren. 10. I'm sorry. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? We have an adversary that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes. We, we read about that in, in our text today, this cunning craftiness, this deceit. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? You have an enemy, an adversary, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Oh, but he's doing that to everybody else but me. He's writing this to Judy. He's writing this to Coy. Paul, Luke, not me. No, no. I read this stuff and I put me in here. For some reason, we are blinded to the reality that we are the ones under attack. Anyway, stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's the spiritual, unseen, invisible. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness, of this world against spiritual wickedness and high places. Wherefore, not anyway, 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This gets us back to grow up, know what you mean, uh, know what you believe. Know what you believe. Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Know what your standing is in Christ. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, our mission. And above all, taking the shield of faith, this is our, our protection wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all of us. And Paul says, for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds and chains, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Phew-wee. I don't even know what to say at this point. We need to wake up, I guess. Our lethargy, our indifference, our apathy, our ignorance. Whatever it is that's holding back, holding us back from becoming what God would have us to be. That is the battleground. And Satan knows what your weakness is, and he knows what my weakness is. He's, I told you, he's a master strategician. He knows where I am weak and vulnerable. He knows where you are weak and vulnerable. And he's so skilled at it that it, it happens to us in a, on a personal basis not just in congregations, but in our own lives. He comes by slight and cunning craftness. That simply means you don't, he's such a good magician, you don't know how he does the trick. <laughs> you can't see it. And he works so masterfully on us, we don't even see how he's pulled off the trick and we still remain day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. <sighs> the same. And I don't know that we're growing up like we should. I think we're stunted. There's not Astorn. He, don't, he wants to grow up. Gideon, he wants to grow up. That's a natural desire of somebody that's born. You want to grow up. You don't want to remain an infant. Spiritually, we're supposed to have that same hunger, that same desire. And it's natural if we don't artificially stunt it meaning we starve ourselves spiritually so we don't grow. 
We could easily fix it so Gideon doesn't grow up. Stop feeding him. We can easily stunt our growth by not feeding ourselves spiritually. And you know what? We know Jesus told us you're not going to be able to live on bread alone. You're going to need the Word of God. Now, as dire as I sound, I'm not. Um, you know, I, I tell you about that one preacher, the, the, the lady, this is years ago, she, she uh, came to the church service and she said to him, you're nothing here like you are on the radio. Because he, he had a regular radio broadcast. He said, on the radio, I hug you. Here, I kick you in the seat of the pants. So, I love us all, but somebody has to kick us in the seat of the pants. And that's me. Come next week, you'll be loved to death. <laughs> but that's the balance, and that's why Luke and I, in part, wanted to get together. I'm not going to change. I've already accepted that. I've listened honestly. If you don't like my preaching, I, I get it. But I've listened to enough of my preaching and read my stuff to where I'm not ashamed of me anymore. I've been so ashamed of me, really. You know, oh, you're too loud, you're too this, you're too this, you're too that. Stop. If you just brought it down a little bit. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it'd be like going to... Lester Roloff, he said that they wanted to give him an honorary doctorate, and he didn't take it. He said it'd be like putting whipped cream on an onion. <laughs> He's, he'll never be anything different. You can give him a doctorate's degree, but he's still going to be an onion. With whipped cream. I'm not going to be anything different. And I have to believe, even me, and my wife knows me better than anybody except God, there's some reason I am as I am and I preach as I preach. And if, if I'm out of sync with the time, so be it. If, if, I'm not saying I am. Or if I'm not everybody's cup of tea right now, great. But... If nothing else, I'm trying to give what I give from my heart. Me already been taken to this woodshed. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with us. I'm not as mature as I should be right now. I'm not as Christ-like as I should be right now. I've stunted my own growth over the years. And now what happens is you get at the back side of things. And all of a sudden you look back at 45 years of salvation and you say, what have I done with it? And then you start to realize, whoa. And then you want to try to implement the message to others. And hopefully somebody will just wake up sooner than I did. And that's the heart of every preacher. And that's why... God set it up in such a way that children are to be taught by the previous generation who was taught by the previous generation who was taught by the previous generation so that there will be this cumulative effect of growth. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. John MacArthur, like him or not, I think he's actually a great man. He, he's still standing strong. I think his ministry has somewhat suffered for it as far as popularity. But man, I've heard him preach. Anyway, 
He is a fourth generation preacher. His father was a preacher, his grandfather was a preacher, his great-grandfather was a preacher. Successive generations. Do you know anything about his dad? Nope. Grandfather, great-grandfather, not a thing. But successive generations of shelling out the word of God produced a John MacArthur. Aside from the fact that God just decided to put his hand on him. Or anybody so let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I don't know, I seem to spit and snort and yell and, and a lot, but I just hope whoever listens and those that are here today can filter through all that to hear the truth. And Father, that the Holy Spirit would work to our hearts, you know, and that we'll stop measuring ourselves by ourselves or against this world's condition, but to go to the Word of God, the true source in which we have to measure ourselves and grade ourselves. And allow you to do your work in our hearts. And until we feed ourselves, we're going to be just like Gideon. We'll just starve to death and never grow up. And you've told us it's through the nourishment of your word. So it seems like nothing changes, Father. I mean, the writer of the book of Hebrews, Albert Barnes in his time, and still now, this insanity has to stop, Father. Somehow, in the midst of this cycle that keeps repeating itself in your children, there has to be a remnant somehow. And we want to say we're the remnant and we're, now we're messianics and whoa, boy, look at us. And we just re, re, we've rehashed it all over again, Father. We're just the same people. Work in our hearts, I pray in Yeshua's name, amen. <laughs> Hey, mighty warriors around.